everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are here to review Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, the two-part finale, Supernova Part 1 and 2. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkie, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? You know what? I'm glad to be here. It's always a good thing to talk to you and it's always fun to talk Star Trek with you. So glad to be here. Yeah, man, I'm glad to have you on once again to, you know, kind of talk about this finale in the season. I think we've really, really enjoyed thus far. You know what? I can't think of a single one that I can say anything good about. And, you know, that's saying something because you can't say anything good can't. about. You can't I, say. Oh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, seriously, excuse me, seriously, that I can't say anything bad about because uh, there was maybe the fact that even trying to say something bad, this was so good that I even said good when trying to be bad. Who knows? <laughs> indeed, sir. Indeed. All right. Well, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're going to go ahead and get into our review of Supernova Parts 1 and 2. Supernova Part 1 was written by Aaron McNamara and directed by Andrew L. Smith. Surrounded by the Federation Armada, the crew attempts to stop their ship from destroying all of Starfleet and for Supernova Part 2, which was written by Kevin and Dan Hagman and directed by Ben Hibben. As the Federation hangs in a balance, the crew must make the ultimate sacrifice to save Starfleet's future. Alrighty. So for everyone listening, if you have not seen Supernova Part 1 or Supernova Part 2, put us on pause, go out, watch the episodes, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to review this episode. And like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? All right, so we're doing two episodes. We get two beats, and here they are. The episode, and this is for episode part one. The episode builds on prior events leading up to a Tower of Babelesque cliffhanger. <laughs> for Indeed. part two, two minus one equals Janeway. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So I'll go ahead and just give my high level thoughts of this episode this two-parter i loved it <laughs> it it's two episodes that didn't have me in tears but gave me all the feels as i feel like good television should do from time to time and definitely pulling at the heartstrings and even hitting on a lot of that voyager nostalgia i have for for um kate mcgrew and, and captain janeway so ultimately i think we did a great job in this two-parter of bringing a completion to this journey that we've had, this long journey that started on Tars Lamora and ended in Starfleet territory. So ultimately, I think it was just a great journey for the whole season, culminating in uh, a climactic <laughs> ending and, you know, getting a little after story of how things turn out once they finally, finally make it to Starfleet. What are your high-level thoughts, Cal Jones? So for high-level thoughts, I would say that in a way, and especially listening to you, this feels to me almost like 
two entire seasons in one. And I know, you know, that we had a break between part one and part two of the season. But even beyond that, there is so much that has gone on and there is so much character growth and development that's come through this. Really and truly, it feels like two complete seasons to me. But whether it's two complete in my mind or whether it's one in reality, awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so we finally make it back to, to the Federation space. And to me, it was a scene that was kind of reminiscent of what we got at the very end of Voyager in Endgame, where we just emerge and it's just ships everywhere. And I have to kind of ask you, like, what do you think about seeing all these ships? We've had scenes like this definitely in prior series, more recently in Picard season one, at the very end of Picard season one. So what are your overall thoughts of just having this huge Federation armada meeting Dal and crew as they make it back to Federation territory? So I agree with your feeling of callback to the ending of Voyager because there's so many Voyager callbacks. Maybe another reason why I really, really like the show so much. On top of that, and I know we've said this before, but I forget that this is animated because it just feels so submersive for the audience that it was really, really cool to see. And again, forgot that it was animated. Just really cool. And it kind of gave me a justification. I don't know if you remember, but when we reviewed that finale of Picard season one, we had a huge complaint that all the ships looked the same. And of course, in this two-parter, we see where all the ships look very different. They're, they're the classic ships that we know from times past. There's the Defiant. There's other ships, uh, other other classes of ships that we've seen before. So it kind of, if, if you look at this story and sees what happened, how this armada gets decimated, it sort of kind of gives us a reason for why all the ships are so homogenous at, at the end of Picard, maybe. Maybe, but... You brought up something that I have written down that I wanted to ask. Is the Defiant a class or is it a singular ship? I believe it's a class. So that wasn't per se the same Defiant as it was from DS9. Well, I think I did see the call sign on there. or, or Yeah, the call sign on it that said actually Defiant. So oh, uh, I think okay. that was the Defiant. But yeah, it is certainly a class of ship, though. Got you. Good deal. Thank you. As we get into this story and we see Admiral Jellicoe at the very beginning, which I thought was very good seeing him come back again. And we get to see kind of the crew going to this primo Captain Dow takes command mode, which I really, really liked. And I it, 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 it again, it underlines the journey that they've had from being these clueless kids to first get on this protostar at the very beginning of the season to get to this point to where when they get in this situation where they finally reach the Federation, he's barking orders. What can we do? You know, what's the next plan? What are you doing over there, uh, Jacob Pog? How can we uh, <laughs> uh, how can we get the shields up? You know, they're finally working after this long journey. They're finally working as somewhat of a cohesive unit, which I really, really appreciate it. Mm. You know, I go back and I second that, but I also love the character arc. And I know we'll get more into this later on, but um Gwen's arc. You know, you're talking yeah. about Dal, but when she was first on the ship with them, she was captive. I mean, she they took her against her will. She was not 
per se, quote unquote, part of the crew. Yeah, for real. And, you know, get to this point where, again, where I just feel like all of them are gelling and in their own way, you know, running like a, a well-oiled machine, which I really appreciate. Now, we do start this episode with Admiral Vice Admiral Janeway in the brig, and we get a call back to Voyager where this Benari refugee, refugee, excuse me, is the one that releases her from the brig. I don't remember that episode, but I do have to look it up to find out what episode that is where we have Benari in there. But yeah, this is somebody that's now in Starfleet that remembered Janeway actually releasing her during that episode. So I thought that was just a great callback again to Voyager's past. And the episode that you're referring to is called Counterpoint. Mm. Wow, I need to go back and watch it because I remember nothing. (laughs) But yes, that is the name of the episode. And to second what you just said, I totally agree. I loved the idea that this was something that you had already seen, but it wasn't so embedded into the story that if you had not seen it or you didn't remember that it impeded your liking, you know, whether it would have been counterpoint or if it would have been the caretaker or whatever the case may be, it didn't matter per se what episode it was, but it kind of just added to the story. Does that make sense? No, no, 100 percent, 100 percent, because, again, it immediately took me back and gave me all the feels. So I was down for it. 100 percent, man. Let's talk a little bit about the protostar getting boarded. (laughs) The Diviner, Ensign Ascensia, the Vindicator and her dreadnought go aboard the protostar and begin to wreak havoc. Now we do. This is, I guess, John's area, but we do get a bit of a showdown between the diviner and his crew versus the, the protostar Dal and his crew. What do we, what do we think about that? Because ultimately I thought it was like a well choreographed, interesting fight. It, it killed me interested, even though maybe they shouldn't have stood a chance against dreadnought, but I ultimately really enjoyed it. Any thoughts on that showdown that they had there? Oh, I, I mean, I, I loved the back and forth and I loved how they were able to utilize their own strengths and understanding of their own strengths to get themselves out of it. So they they weren't dependent on someone else to come and save them. What about the Diviner's seemingly newfound, well, his interest in Gwendala's safety? Because I think we brought this up in our last review. It seemed like he had started to take a bit of a turn. What do we think about the Diviner's turn in this episode to even oppose, you know, the incidentia slash the vindicator to try to protect Gondala. You know, I am trying to remember our, our last conversation. And I think I went against the grain of saying that there wasn't a change because it seems like we had a conversation about that happening. I now am on board with the idea that there was possibly a change And I thought it was cool because he was made up to be this great big bad of the episode. And he winds up not being that in this. And it's a good tie off of his story, I think. Yeah, it is. And it really, as much as it surprised me, it makes a lot of sense because, I mean, I don't I don't know if it was him getting suspended in that when uh, Captain Janeway first found him on Tars Lamora and he, you know, was left behind. I don't know if that was the point, 
but it seemed like at some point he started to make a a change and i'm i think it was great for gondolas i think it impacts gwen more than it impacts you know what we care about the diviner because ultimately it kind of stirs something in her to see her parent die is always you know that's a bad thing so uh, i think it kind of stirred up something i heard to finally reach the conclusion of what he was trying to do actually the safety of their people when first contact is made and it seems like that's the mission that she's going to continue and you know what it really helps to understand or not advance but i'm not sure exactly the word here so i'll just say what i'm trying to say which is if you just have a character that's bad for bad sake, that's really one dimensional. But if you describe it as the type of character that's doing bad things in our eyes, but because we don't understand what they do, that makes a more interesting character. 100%. And I'll say a quick shout out to Tasha that's in our YouTube chat. Good to see you again. And thanks for listening in. Hey, Tasha. But yeah, man, I I just thought all of that was well done, well well choreographed. The the showdown between Gwen and and um uh, Ensign Asensia, I thought was well done. Sad to see, you know, they made me have the feels for the Diviner after he's after he's done all these bad things. I was kind of sad to see him just kind of evaporate away. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big fan of John Noble as anything he does, so. I hope that they can somehow divine a way for the diviner to return, oh, maybe. There you go with the cheese. <laughs> you know, I can't go exactly uh, too long without, you know, being a little cheesy. I want to give another shout out for Tasha, who obviously loves my puns. So <laughs> thanks for the support, Tasha. Indeed. So let me ask you about the whole idea of transmitting these secret code slash virus slash thing a trojan horse into the federation it kind of played out differently than i envisioned because i i thought it was something that may have been is just transmitted and it's there and it continues to infiltrate their system sort of like a computer virus jumping from system to system but it seemed more like something that is like a radio wave that's has to be constantly pushed in order to keep the virus going. Mm. Did the way it was constructed seem like what you thought of it? Because to me, it just seemed kind of different than what I initially thought in my head. So I, I'm wondering, and I'm not trying to make a joke here, but I'm wondering if you paid a little bit more attention to that because you are because you have a background in computers and you have a, a background in knowing stuff like that. For me, I paid more attention to the fact that they said that they could not use... The universal translator anymore mm. that, that that the voices you know that they couldn't understand each other which of course was part of that but i think that was my focus of imagine you're able now to uh, you know you and i are talking well imagine us trying to do a two-man podcast tonight if i don't understand you and you don't understand me yeah which you did shout out in your uh beats yeah your beats at the very beginning what is the Tower of Babel for people who don't know? So for anyone that does not know, in biblical terms, the Tower of Babel is when all these different groups of people, tribes, whatever you want to call them, are trying to build this tower all the way up to reach heaven. 
And, you know, so it's being built, et cetera, and so forth. And to prevent this tower from being built, they are suddenly not able to speak. And this was being built in Babel. So that's where you get the term babbling because you can't understand. <laughs> All of that comes from is from that story. Yeah, it's such a good reference. One that I did not even think about, but it is, that's exactly the story they pulled from here. And again, just a great moment for Gwen to step in and use these traits that we've established from the very beginning of her being able to speak all these languages when new people are brought to Tars Lamora. And again, that's taking it all the way back to the beginning. That's the way they kept everybody in subjugation because they could not speak to each other. Yes. And on top of that, they're setting her up. And I love this pull your, you know, the, the floor out from under you at the end to somewhat, but they're setting Gwen up as being this perfect Starfleet officer mm. to me. Mm. Think about it. She has this linguistics. She has strategy. She has all these characteristics that I think just go down the line and check, 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 check all the Federation Starfleet boxes. And I have to read this quote that I wrote down from from Gwen in this episode, which I thought was just, you know, this episode gave me all the feels, like I said. But the quote is because in the infinite of space, everyone needs to know there is a place out there willing to accept us all, no matter how different we think we are. Just great writing there. And again, love that freaking quote. So by the end of episode one or part one, all hope seems to be lost. Let's get into episode two a bit and sacrifices have to be made. So I call this kind of protostar on a run. The protostar takes off. Janeway notices the real Janeway notices the sacrifice they're making. They're, they're not fleeing from the situation. They're trying to get away. So this constantly transmitted virus or whatever you want to call it is no longer affecting the ships. So the protostar is on a run. And then we get into the end game of this whole episode where they come up with this idea or hollow Janeway of uh, no, I'm, I, I'm, I stand corrected. It was Dow who came up with the idea that they have to blow up the protostar and there's no other way. And we have hollow Janeway having to make a sacrifice so the rest of the crew can get away. And things that remind me of Voyager again, they're going to download her program into this little life vessel that they have. And that doesn't work out like intended. So downloading or uploading or whatever you want to call it, uploading, I, I guess is the word here, into this device or into this whatever, does, it, does that sound like something you've heard of in Doctor Who before? Hmm. Are you talking about, I don't know the episode, but I know what you're talking about. Yep, a certain character that got uploaded to a certain yeah, something. And, yes. Oh, oops, spoilers. Yep. Uh, but but without, you know, without really going into that, I thought that nod to me was cool. I loved the the fact that Hologram Janeway had something that she did not tell them. Mm. But not that I not that I'm glad that we did don't and I guess since we're in part two, we can go ahead and say that she, even though she was uploaded, her program had grown to the point to where 
it would not fit. So that version of Janeway is no more. Yeah. And again, that's something that plays into Voyager because they always had this problem with the doctor of his program getting too big and just always having to rewrite his subroutine so he wouldn't go away because his program just kept getting more and more complex over time, over the seven years. So uh, it just felt like a direct call out to that. And very sad to see the sacrifice that Hollow Janeway has to make. But in true Captain Janeway fashion, she doesn't tell them what's actually going on. She lets them go on believing that, you know, everything is OK, but tells them in the end. So so I have a question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. What you got? Do man? you think that they made the right decision by, for all intents and purposes, deleting hologram Janeway going into the second season? And then I'll I, tell you what I think. Yeah, I don't think it matters as much. When we get to the conclusion of this and we learn that Hollow Janeway has somehow recreated the wormhole that Chakotay used to get to 52 years in the future, I have a feeling that she may not be completely gone because because I don't know if it's going to be some kind of timey-wimey, excuse the quote there, timey-wimey thing of where there's another protostar in the future or I'm still kind of confused on the timeliness of it. And again, it goes back to what Janeway always says. Don't think about it too much. It's going to hurt your brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'm not sure Hollow Janeway is completely gone. But but I think our version of Hollow Janeway may be gone. All right. So I like that. I had not even considered that. So I'm liking what you just said. That said, I think functionally going into season two, if you would have had Hollow Janeway and Admiral Janeway, I think that would have just been a little too much Janeway. And I can't believe I'm saying that because <laughs> I love Janeway. You? But you see what I'm saying for the story, I think you needed one or the other. And for season two, we're going with the other. Yeah, most certainly. Most certainly. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with having Vice Admiral Janeway lead the way. And let's just get into some of that story of Vice Admiral Janeway, who notices the sacrifice this crew has made. You know, we had the Freaky Friday situation where she was able to make contact, get to know this crew. And finally, we are in the halls of Starfleet and she's making the plea to get the charges dropped, <laughs> which like, how are you going to charge these kids for stealing a lost ship? But anyway, get the charges dropped and also try or make a plea to get these kids into Starfleet Academy and the whole thing with Dal and the genetics, the, the eugenic war and all this stuff. What do you what do you think about that plea that she made? And let's just talk a little bit about the actual conclusion of who got in and who got out. So I liked all of that. What I really liked is a weird side comment that they kind of made for them to basically be accepted, but not accepted in Mm. the sense of just because they came along doesn't mean that they should get ahead of all these other people who have worked for it. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that was right or wrong, but I do like that they were able to get something, yeah. but maybe not just that they're going in their own route, I should yeah. say. Which is a great way to keep Janeway paired with this crew who they had, they got admitted as warrant officers into Starfleet, warrant officers in, in training under the tutelage of Vice Admiral Janeway. 
So that's a way to keep them all kind of paired together, which I thought was very interesting, very cool. And we get this and, and we get we get the news that Gwendala has her own path, which is not going to be for now with the rest of the crew, which kind of made me sad. Yeah, I totally wasn't expecting, you know, her to leave, but I don't think we've seen the end of her just as spoilers for an episode or a season finale of Discovery where we see a character leave. I think it was not last season, but before last season. And we knew at that point, hey, this character is coming back. So I I think we will see her again. But again, I really like that they have their own path, because if they would have joined Starfleet Academy, for all intents and purposes, in my mind, into the series, into the story. And I do like that how all the rest of the Volnukat have like a title or kind of a name that shows their direction. Again, we have Ensign Asensia, which be, being the um, the Vindicator, and we have the Diviner. And we also have Gwendala being the Unifier, as mm. Zero called her, which I thought was pretty darn cool. Mm. Well, speaking of Zero, I, what did you think with the, I will call them... Attire upgrades. <laughs> um, what did you think of that? I hated zeros, to be honest. <laughs> you know what she white. reminded me? She rem- are, and I know is is zero or he or she? It's just the non-binary. Okay, so zero to me looked like a late nineties, early two thousands Apple product. It had <laughs> it had that all white look. That's what that reminded me of. Oh, yeah, it was it was uh, it reminded me of Dr. Colbert for some reason, I guess, because he wears all white. Maybe so. But yeah, that was uh, that was a bit much for me. (laughs) Oh, we have another comment for Tasha, which I'll pick up real quick, where she, she says, right. They actually did a service to the Federation by locating the ship and making them aware that Chakotay and the crew are missing. So what do you let's let's go back to this wormhole really quick. This wormhole to the future, which it looks like Janeway and the uh, Protostar crew or the former Protostar crew may explore. Do you think we'll actually see Chakotay in season two? And and what do you think about going back and forth in this wormhole? Is it that kind of worries me? Because, again, we always talk about time stuff and how that kind of warps our brain when we start to talk about it. But do you think we'll see Chakotay in season two? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's to me a given. Yeah, kind of a must have at this point, right? Yep. I mean, I would be so far or I would go so far as to say I would be not surprised if we didn't see more Voyager cameos Mm. or or people popping up. I certainly hope so. And again, I've mentioned it before, but I wonder how this series plays into the other series and if they will try to do some type of tie-in i think they did a great job of modeling the characters closely to the real people because i think um uh, brent gray kind of looks like now and the girl who uh, the woman excuse me who plays gondala kind of you know i can see her being made up to look like gondala older versions of course i wonder if we're gonna maybe see some type of synergy We've already heard of the synergy that's going on with uh, Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds, which I'm kind of worried about, but uh, be that as it may. <laughs> so it just, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see if there'll be some type of synergy, because with this, 
And then they even mentioned alternate timelines in this episode, too. So, again, my brain just starts to get very confused. And maybe that'd be something we have to circle back to and kind of discuss a little bit later to, to try to map out like where we are in the universe with this this particular show. So do we know when season two may begin? I don't think we've gotten any word on it particularly, but hopefully sometime this summer, I would say. But who knows? Because it seems like they put an awful lot of work into this season. So who knows when we'll get the next season? Uh, you know, I'm thinking if, we, if we're if we lucky, I mean, considering the fact we're almost at the end of January now, I'm thinking that it may be late 2023 or early 2024 before we get season two. Because we've got in a month coming up, we've got, you know, Picard season three coming, right? Yeah. And then we've got Discovery out there. So we haven't gotten more, you know. So if you look at it from that point of view and wondering, okay, you've got that, you've got Discovery, any other things that may be coming, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not end of this year or first of next. Yeah, it, it seems like that Lower Decks is pretty much the easiest one to turn out. So I, I expect to have Picard, Lower Decks, and maybe Discovery this year, and maybe next year before we get some more prodigy but who knows animation seems to be kind of easier for paramount to to push out but uh this the quality of the animation this is so good that it kind of makes it seem like it's going to take some time yes indeed but you know what i would rather wait than and it be as good as this than push it out and it be half as good yeah uh, a few quick notes to point out before we wrap up we now have a protostar class that we see that is gone in production. Now we haven't seen the protostar in any of the Picard stuff. So who knows what's going on with that? So maybe we'll see it in Picard or who knows, who knows? And also we got the tease of this, some new ship that vice Admiral Janeway has that we know nothing about. Any guesses on what that ship might be, Kyle? Cause I don't know, but I got some guesses on what I would love it to be. I have no idea of what it might be, but I know what I want it to be named. What's that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe Voyager? Yes. Voyager, the Voyager B. It, it would, uh, that would be amazing. That would be freaking amazing. And, and we have not, ooh, 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 ooh. we've not met. So assuming that there is a uh, Voyager B, we've not met what who would there. I'm sorry, would it would it be B or A? Okay. It would be B. You know it would be A, because I think the one in um now I'm getting confused. Well let me just say, regardless of what, what letter is behind it, it can be <laughs> it, it could be Voyager A B C one, two, three. But <laughs> as long as it's Voyager, we don't know the crew. Who's to say that we don't have a something something um, you know, that's Tom Paris or is oh, Harry man. Kim? Or yeah. is Bellana Torres? Any of those? Yeah, for for sure. I'm I'm voting or hoping that we bring everybody back. We already have uh, uh, Jerry Ryan doing Picard, so it's nothing for her to jump in the booth and do some do a few lines, you know. So I am waiting, waiting to bring in more of the Voyager crew or bring anybody. Nothing's off the table for me. I would rather see more crossovers here where it's kind of more substantial than in prod in um, lower decks, quite frankly. Yes, indeed. A hundred million and thousand billion percent. All right. And with that, we will go ahead and 
try to wrap this up. But first, let's get ratings for the episode. Mr. Jones, how do you rate this two-parter? I rate this a solid, completely solid five out of five. Such a high score. Such a high score. For me, I think I'll rate it five as well because it's freaking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Tried to trick us there. But no, I mean, there's nothing bad that can be said. Five. Yeah, I enjoyed this so much, man. It's just a great, solid season of Star Trek. Anyone that's trying to get into Star Trek, even though this is, I'm holding up quotes here, a kid's show, there is plenty there for anybody, uh, a young fan or old, and definitely, I would say check it out because it's such a great season. Yeah, five stars for me as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Again, thanks to Tasha for joining us in the chat. And again, we're going to try to do these live right now on YouTube, but probably other platforms as well as we work out the kinks and technical difficulties of trying to do a live show. We would love it if any of you guys would join in. Of course, if you want to send us feedback, you can send that into fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. Kyle, any last words before we get out of here? You know what? I have loved this season. I have loved talking about it. And I can't wait for the return of Picard season three. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm ready for it myself, too. So hopefully they up the ante. We've gotten some some uh, social media drops that have shown bits and pieces to try to get us get us hyped up for the new season of Picard. So, hey, I'm ready for it, man. I am ready for it. So with that said, we'll be back hopefully with John next week with Trek Trivia. But for Cal and myself, until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com